Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband Josh wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want, we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. They need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry, and then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way, and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church, exactly. knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled, The Word Became Flesh, was given by Bill Doctrum and is the second in our series, Advent. Uh, anybody need a Bible? Just raise your hand. we got some folks uh, distributing those, I think. Anybody need one? 736 in this one. Anybody's interested? John chapter 1. Um, we are uh, kind of wandering through this Lenten theme and uh, trying to sort through what the Lord would say to us as a church. And um, the, the, you know, Darren and I is starting to work through this, and and uh, pastored a church I did for for probably thirty thirty some odd years. So I've 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 preached through thirty Christmas seasons. And every Christmas, you 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 you, you know, you kind of come along August or you know, because Christmas tends to come pretty much every time, right around the end of December, somewhere in there, somewhere you know, around the 24th, 25th, somewhere in there, you know, it's going to roll 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 along. And so, as a pastor, you know, you're thinking strategically: what do I want to say? What 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 new fresh twist can I 
kind of put to the story, a, an old story, a familiar story, you know, that's been well, well told. And, and, and finally, about 20 years ago, I realized I don't, I don't really actually ever have to do anything new with Christmas. I just need to do the old really well. If we can get this story into our hearts and it lands and lodges, that's, 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 that's good. Because this story, especially the one that we'll look at now, this is John's uh, birth narrative. Um, Luke has got one, which is the one we usually hear. Uh, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed, and every, you know, usually shepherds in bathrobes, they're the, you know, the angels with, with, with the bed sheets wrapped around them. Anybody grow up with, with kids' programs, right? And, and, any recovering shepherds in the room? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and usually, you know, it's the junior high, so Mary's taller by Joseph than Joseph by a head, uh, you know, and, and, and it's like, okay, this year, do we use a real baby? No, last year she dropped the fake one, so let's, let's, you know. No matter what we do to it, we can't mess up this story. And, and it is, it is pretty stunning. John, uh, in his, um, Prologue, it's called, the first 14, 15, 16 verses, uh, says this. If you have your Bibles, follow along. I'm using the New American Standard, so if you're using uh, the, 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 the um, translation that we're providing or a different one, your reading might be a little bit different, uh, but it's, it's uh, all rooted in the same. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him. Apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not overcome it. Verse 9. There was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world. The world was made through Him and the world did not know Him. So He came to His own. And those who were His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him to them, He gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe into His name. Not born of bloods, nor of the will of the flesh, but of the will of man, nor of the will of man, but of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we with our own eyes saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and and truth. Down at verse 16. Of His fullness then we all have received grace upon grace. For the law that was given through Moses was given through Moses. But grace and truth were actualized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father he has exegeted him perfectly. So I've changed a few of the, the words in there from the, from the traditional uh, reading 
to kind of get a, a heart and a handle, so to speak, on, on what I think John is actually doing there. Notice that, that John, um, for those of you who are, who are, are aware of this history, um, just give me a minute. Uh, John writes at the tail end of the first century. So already by this time, the church, which has existed for about um, 50, 60, 70 years in some places, is beginning to come under attack. And one of the primary groups that is attacking the church, kind of like a, 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 an H1N1, a virus that has gotten inside the gut of the church, is something that in about 50 more years will flourish into full-blown Gnosticism. Right now, it's in seed form, it's, it's, but it's ready to go viral. It has, it's, a, it's a philosophy that originated in ancient Persia around 350 to 400 years before Christ, uh, Iran, Iraq now. Uh, and it was a belief in the supremacy of spirit over matter. You can begin to see how it morphs itself into Greek philosophy as, as the Hellenistic um, influence of Alexander the Great begins to take that virus and begins to spread it throughout the Hellenistic world in the philosophies of Plato with his supposition of a dualism of, of, of light and darkness, uh, uh, matter and spirit, matter being evil, uh, and dark uh, spirit being um, uh, good and and light. So those 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 two things. Then, as as Hellenism uh, kind of kind of uh, comes underneath and and buoys up the Roman Empire. And now, right at that point, Christianity begins to flourish. Around thirty to thirty five uh, A.D. And 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 very quickly. The, the teaching of Jesus as the Son of God become flesh uh, begins, you can see how it begins to, to, to butt heads against this, this Gnostic philosophical system. Uh, because because it, it, here's the Christian doctrine which John is going to espouse here, that God, pure spirit, became matter. How can spirit, good, become matter, evil? The only way that this is possible is if you have previously existing matter and spirit invades that matter and empowers it for a season, uses it up, and then throws it away. You can see how Christian Gnosticism began to flourish in about 50 years, leading to uh, the Gospel of Judas about 250 years later. You may recall the big furor on that uh, three or four years ago, or Dan Brown's uh, Da Vinci Code. The reason the church in about 300 to 400 to 450 uh, A.D. had to decide what books were legitimately uh, authentic as inspired by God is because this incipient, this Gnosticism was beginning to spread and people were believing in the Spirit Christ without the boy Jesus. You see how that works? You see it in Corinthians if you if you if you follow that through along, and I don't I don't want you to bore you with all of that. But by the tail end of the first century, John is already seeing this begin to happen, and John is the last eyewitness to the life of Christ alive. He is the last living apostle at this time. Everybody else has either died a martyr's death or died a natural death on a mission field somewhere. John is in exile on the Isle of Patmos. He begins to see the church being fragmented and shredded 
by this Gnosticism as people are believing that you can do, because this is how it works. If matter is evil and spirit is good, as long as your spirit is aligned, then you can do whatever you want in your body and it doesn't matter. You see how that works? So if, as, long as, my, as long as I believe the right thing spiritually, then I can live however I want in my body. This is a very popular belief, isn't it? You can see, uh, anybody aware of Gnosticism today? That's what is happening and we are still dealing with it today. Because as long as my spirit is right, I can do whatever I want here. You see? And John is just saying, no, in Christ we have this complete, perfect union of spirit and body. God became flesh, did not inhabit flesh, became flesh and dwelt among us. So you can say a lot of things about Christianity But what you can't say about Jesus is that he was just a man or that he was just a spirit, just God. You have to say of him that God became flesh and dwelt among us. uh, Those who criticize Christianity for being insistent on this point are exactly right. Our enemies are right. Christianity is exclusive. Jesus is God. The little boy from the carpenter shop who had, had, had skin knees and a bloody nose, who had to learn to speak, who had to learn the alphabet, who had to learn the Scriptures, that little boy was God. You can see how hard this is to get our heads around, can't you? John sees this beginning to fragment. This is why this Christmas season, this is why the incarnation matters. If this isn't true, we are wasting our time. This is not something that we get to vote on. Right? It's not true because we believe it's true. It's, we believe it's true because it is true. And whether you believe it, true or not, it's still true. So here's what he says, and you'll notice what he's trying to do here. Verse 1, in the beginning, reminiscent of Genesis chapter 1, which begins in the same way. It's actually also reminiscent of the Gospel of Matthew. In the beginning was the Word. Here is Logos. And John has, uh, has both this Greek philosophical mind, worldview in mind and also a strong Hebrew philosophical point of view in mind. And that one word, logos in Greek, pulls those together because you may recall in the beginning, how did God bring things into existence? He spoke. John's version, in the beginning, was the Word. So the speaking Word is in fact this same Word that John is pointing us to. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and he says with crystal clarity, the Word was God. The Word was God. Now what happens? He is in the beginning with God. Everything that came into being came into being through the agency of Him. Apart from Him, nothing came into being that has in fact come into being. This is a critical thing. Uh, and you see his echoing back there. Uh, he wants to make this strong, solid argument 
first that the Word was God, right? That He was the agent of creation, that He brought all of the stuff that we see as matter into existence. He is the one that spoke, and He was the Word that was spoken that brought it into existence. All right, so we have that track. So we have this solidly established in John's, John's, John's mind. That in Him was life, the very agency of life itself, and His life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Now, uh, this is a, an interesting little word here at the end of verse, verse 5. Sometimes it's translated comprehend or understand. Sometimes it's translated overcome it. In either case, uh, and, and both are legitimate, uh, in, in, in either case, light is triumphant over darkness. So, so this um, bifurcation of the world into light and darkness, who's going to win that battle? Light is always going to win the battle. Light is always going to win the battle. Right? So here's where he goes on. Then he talks briefly in verses 6 through 8 about a man whose who's witness John is using a, a rabbinic tradition in that two witnesses need to be established. He brings in John the Baptist to authenticate his story. I, I, I don't have time to develop that, but then he picks it up at verse 9. That true light which coming into the world enlightens every person. He was in the world. He says it again. The world was made through him, but the world did not know him. So now what? He came to his own. And John here now is, is, is turning a corner. Who were his own? From John's perspective, it is the Jewish nation. The people who were alive in Judea at the time. You recall, uh, Luke tells us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Jesus came to his own people. And what was the response? They didn't receive him. So, again, he came to the world that he spoke into being. And the world didn't receive him. So he came into his own people. And his own people didn't receive him. Why is this so important? There's a lot of reasons why this is important. But babies need to be received. They need to be embraced. Can, have you ever thought, why a baby? God could have come a number of other ways, which would have been, in my view, far more impressive. I'm sure if we had been running the show, we would have figured out another way for Him to come and establish His presence on the earth. God, however, and this is very important, especially for some of you in the room tonight, will never force Himself on you. You have the right, from beginning to end, of the no. If you don't receive Him, He will not be received by you. Right? And, and, and what is the implication of that? For Him, He goes on and suggests this. As many as received Him, however, to those He gave the power, the right to become the children of God. Even to those who believe into, the, the, the Greek literally here is into His name. So believing in His name is not believing things about Him. 
It is a matter of believing into the reality that he represents. And, and, and what is that? Fundamentally, the same thing. Remember, we were talking about this before. This, 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 this unique combination of spirit and flesh that Jesus perfectly is. By the way, who else is like this but imperfectly? We are. Remember Genesis chapter 2. God took the dirt material and breathed into it the breath of life, spirit, and persons became living souls, living beings. So why did Jesus come as spirit and body? So that He could teach us our own lives from the inside out. The incarnation is not about a messenger. It's about someone who has come to be us. Not just with us, it includes that, but somebody who can say to you, this is how your own life as spirit and flesh work best. Jesus didn't come just to save us from sin. He came to teach us how to live our own life well. That's what the incarnation means. That's why it's so important. And that's why He said, to as many as believe into that reality that He represents, to those people, He gave the capacity to be what they were created to be, the children of God. The image, Genesis 1, of God. You're tracking with me? Okay? And then He goes on and says this, We, the Word, spoken Word, became flesh, and, 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 and the Word dwelt here, settled down and lived among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Um, the word glory in uh, both Old and New Testaments is, is a word that is used to kind of gather up what it means for God to reveal Himself. So it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the visible representation of God. So, for example, when, when Moses uh, sees the bush burning in Exodus chapter 3, what he's seeing is the glory of God. When Isaiah uh, shows up in the temple at a transitional point in his life, and there he sees God sitting on the throne, right? And then he says his glory fills the earth. His vision was of God's presence filling the earth. So glory is the way God is seen. Now notice what he says here. The Word became flesh and lived for a little while among us. And what did we see in that flesh? We saw glory. We saw the glory of God. He was the only begotten of the Father. And he says here in verse um, 14, He was full of grace and truth. Now, I wish I... I I, I, I don't know how to do this easily, so bear with me. Um, Grace and truth come from two Greek words that are used in the Old Testament Greek translation to translate two Hebrew words. The two Hebrew words that they translate are chesed and chemet. What they mean are loving kindness and tender mercies. That's usually how they get translated in, in, in English, right? So they get translated that way in English. Where do those words come from? 
Again, if you go back to Exodus chapter 33, what you've got is, some of you may recall the story, Moses is asking God to show him his glory. So Moses is put inside a cave. God covers him there with his hand, passes by, and Moses is able to see where God was. Okay? And as he passes by, he declares his name as filled with loving kindness and tender mercy. Chesed Kemet. It shows up throughout the entirety of the Old Testament as the middle names, if you will, of God. Everything that God is in essence is contained in those two words. He is filled with loving kindness. He is filled with tender mercies. And you see now where John's going with this? We take those two words that are the character description of God, translated from Hebrew into Greek, translated for us now from Greek into English, and they become grace and truth. We beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten God, full, full, full of everything that makes God, God. But, we saw it with our own eyes. We touched it, he'll say later on. You ever wonder why John has so many miracles in, or, or so many instances in which Jesus is pictured as, as eating and drinking and, and, and handling and touching, and especially after the resurrection. Remember, this is the Gospel in which uh, Thomas puts his fingers into the, into the wounds. He was fully man. He was fully flesh. And he was fully Glory, full of everything that made God, God. And then he goes on. For the law was given, uh, of His fullness we have all received. Grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were actualized. Chesed, Kemet were actualized, brought into our current experiential, experiential existence. Through Jesus Christ. This is why the incarnation matters. This is why this season we're in matters. It's not about a little boy with a, a shiny bald spot on his head in the pictures. That's not what's happening here. What is happening here is that God is coming back, parachuting, as it were, into the womb of a 14-year-old girl, trusting the entire plan of salvation to a 14-year-old girl. Coming in gently, 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 without demand, without requirement, without a battalion of soldiers marching behind Him, requiring that we receive Him. If we don't receive Him, you don't get Him at all. A baby needs to be received. And that's what the incarnation is about. And then he goes on finally in verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, namely Jesus, has explained Him. And I translated that uh, earlier, exegeted Him. He has unpacked Him for us. If you ever wonder what God is like, Look at Jesus. 
Look at the character. Look at the nature. Look at the personality. Look at the behavior. See what he did. Look, look at Jesus and you will see what God the Father is like. If you read through the Old Testament and you're confused and struggling with the nature of the God in the Old Testament, he just doesn't seem to have any correlation. If you look at that God through the lens of Jesus, that makes He unpacks him. He exegetes him. He makes him clear to us. And he comes without demand. Now, the the, the one thing I want to say about this as as we come to conclusion on this. He came here in this story to become God with us. Now, this is really important for us, for me. Jesus did not come as God to condemn you. He did not come to shake His finger in your face. He did not come to shame you because of your addictions or because of your sexuality or because of your behaviors. He didn't come to do any of that. He came to be with you. He came to be embraced by you. He came to come into whatever level of life you find yourself. Whatever station you find yourself. He did not say, get cleaned up and then we can talk. He came to be with you where you currently are without demand, without condemnation, without shaming you. Why? So that He could give you the right to become children of God. So that He could look into your face, look into your heart, look into the very center of who you are and say, my brother, my sister, we are saved. Nothing you have done, nothing you have said, nothing that has been done to you disqualifies you from becoming the children of God. Why? Because God became flesh and walked in to the very depths of your life, the very depths of your shame, the very depths of whatever it is that you have experienced and said, I'm with you. Not to shame you, not to condemn you, not to put you down, but to lift you up so that you can become what God has created you to be. So whatever your station is tonight, God had a sense that maybe there was somebody here that's battling with a, a, a drug addiction. And, and maybe you, you have shamed yourself. I just need to, to kick this or get over this and then I can, then I can embrace. No, no, no. Pick up the baby. Receive him. If you will receive Him, He will give you the power that you don't have on your own to become the children of God. Maybe you've come in here and you are still recovering from the shame of what happened to you last night. In fact, maybe the reason you're here is because somebody said to you, come to church with me, and you thought, that's the only place for me to be safe tonight. And you've heard me talk about this and you said, Can it be true? Is it really true? Please, please, please. 
hear me say to you, it's true. It's true. It's, the, it, it's truer than any truth since the history of the world began. The very word whose focus into being has come and is available to you if you will just believe into him. If you will just receive him. He will take whatever you have brought with you. Whatever your story is. And redeem you and it with you on your journey to becoming what God's created you to be. I'm going to ask the, our worship team to come back. And um, if, if in the course of our um, worship following here, you want to find somebody to pray with uh, and just deal with some of this stuff, please do that. Um, I don't want anybody to leave here tonight um, um, empty-handed. I want you all to receive him who came without demand to be received. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we sit with this story, uh, we recognize that, uh, boy, you are so smart. You are genius. You know us so well. If you came in, in flames and, and fire and and on horseback, we would, we would run away terrified. But you didn't. Instead, you came in the most embraceable form possible. You came in the form of a newborn baby that requires to be received. And Lord, I, I don't know I don't know the stories of the folks here tonight. Um, but I know there's a reason this story and their story have come together on this night. And so I pray that over the course of the next few minutes they would courageously receive you. And that you would give to them the capacity as they follow you and believe into you to become the children of God that they were created to be. In Jesus' name. I cultivate Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more messages from The Garden or would like to find out more about The Garden Church, please visit our website at thegardenlb.org. to wait Our hearts are